Lyrics of the Hub, your fan cast, brought to you by TV Series Hub. All right, welcome back, Nerks. I am so excited for today's guest. I am Kelsey. I'm joined by fellow host Uber. Hello. And we have been a big fan of this woman for a while on Nerks. She is the writer, director, creator of a phenomenal Western that you guys are all going to get to see soon called A Last Stand to Nowhere. We are so excited to welcome Michelle Muldoon. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for the invitation. I was really excited when you guys reached out. Oh, well, we are thrilled to have you. We, I, I'm so impressed, well, obviously by the, by the movie, but also by you and the work that you put in to support women in film in person and also just as a broader idea. And I just think it's phenomenal. I really, really appreciate you spending the time with us. Oh, you know, I, I think the more we talk about, the more we talk about the things we like, the more we'll get to see them on screen. And I think it's really important to have these conversations. Well, we're, we're happy to do it. So tell us, Last Stand to Nowhere, the OK Corral, but women. Yeah. And it totally is wonderful. How did this idea come about? So um, I like to uh, help out on other people's films because there's, there's a lot of short films going on in Vancouver. And one of those films was getting shot in a Western town locally about, it was probably about four years ago. And I was walking down Main Street with somebody and I, and I said, you know, wouldn't it be really great to do an all-female gunfight? And, and of course, we were coming up to a corral and I was like, that'd be okay, corral. Wouldn't that be great to do that story? And it was like, yeah, 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 that'd be great. That'd be great. And, and it sat with me for a bit. Um, and then I had the conversation with uh, Jen McLean Angus, who plays our friend McClowry, because we've been mm -hmm. friends for a number of years. And she was like, I'd do that. And I'm like, really? And she goes, oh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> so wrote it. And, um, and then people started saying yes, which is always the positive reinforcement to, to move forward. Um, I think the big thing for us was getting the production team together. Um, and those producers come with all unique skill sets. Like Maya Aro is phenomenal. She knows this town really well. She's uh, a stunt coordinator in town from a number of shows, including um, uh, Men in the High Castle and Once Upon a Time. So she brings a totally unique skill set. Uh, Victoria Angel has been a real rock for us on just, you know, putting our paperwork together and crewing and using contacts and and francis flanagan has another complete unique skill set other than the fact that she's a great actor she also um has an incredible rolodex and, and an incredible way with people and and see story from from an actor's perspective which is a really great one to have on your team so once we got the four of us together and we started the process I, it, it became a lot easier teamwork <laughs> Oh, all the way. And that's, that's the thing, right? Like women want to make film happen. Like, yeah. We really do. Yeah. I really love that idea. I love the whole concept of having it being uh, women only. I, I, I was just thinking about uh, uh, other moments in history. Have you considered, uh, if you were to do this again, have you considered other moments in history that maybe would be, you'd reinterpret in a women only scenario? I think the really interesting thing about this story is it is a moment in history, but it's also mythology. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have built this story up in so many different ways of telling the story that none of the stories are really reflective of what might be the truth. Right. Um, and re researchers are starting to, to go, you know, relook at this whole point of history beyond Wyatt's interpretation in his memoirs and reassess it anyway. So mm -hmm. 
you know, stories like that, stories that reflect a little bit of mythology, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of truth that we don't quite understand, I think kind of fascinate me. Uh, we were joking around one day on set and I said, wouldn't it be fun to do, you know, a variation of the three musketeers? Like, yeah. to, to, <laughs> you know, where, where, I mean, it is a period where, you know, Joan of Arc wore men's armor. It's not like, like this hasn't been heard of in that period of European history. What if our musketeers in the setting of that story were women? I love oh, that. I love that. It's <laughs> a great idea. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that fascinates me. I think, you know, we, we're seeing like a number of shows about Vikings now, but none of them have been from the Shield Maiden's point of view. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think there's just a lot of places to tell stories because the question to me is, how do we know these stories didn't exist? Right. Right? Yeah. All we know is that someone's never written these stories down, and most of history is written from a male perspective. Yes. Right? Right? Yes. So why don't, why don't we make our own history and see what it looks like and see how it makes us feel? I love that. I love that. And, and you're totally right. I mean, that's something that uh, I have two little girls and, you know, we've tried to, you know, look through and I had my oldest went through like a pirates phase and we were like, okay, let's research. There, there are women pirates, historically mm-hmm. women pirates. Let's find out about them rather than just like, you know, the costume of like this sexy pirate woman. <laughs> yeah. And what made them good and what, what made them characters that we're really interested in, but what also made them bad? Yeah, you know, and what turned them that way, right? You know what mm-hmm. what what created the whole image of you know of what we see today? I think there's so many interesting stories and questions that women haven't even touched on yet. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Well, and I loved. I think Last Stand from Nowhere really proved that women could do exactly what you wanted. They could do a western. You know, we always see women as these sort of floozy, floppy, whatever in Westerns. And you're, <laughs> every actress out there was amazing. I mean, they were strong and bold and tough. And you've got my, in, in every retelling of the of the OK Corral, Doc Holliday is always my favorite. He's just got that swagger. He's got the yeah. snark. And Joanna Newmarch was like, perfect. I was like, yes, yes, I love you. You know, um, <laughs> It just, it was amazing. I mean, and when you were casting for them, how do you sort of make sure that they, they had that grit, I guess? Well, we did very little auditioning. So I've known, I've known Joanna for a number of years as well. There was no doubt. The, the character got on the page and I finished the draft that would be the one that would go out to them. I looked at it and went, oh, that's Joanna. <laughs> like, uh-huh. it just was. And so I contacted her and we talked previously about it'd be really fun to work together someday. And I sent it to her and she was like, I'm in. <laughs> then I had met uh, Kayla Horsdahl through Jen McClain Angus briefly. And she was, I was like, oh, that's Shayla. And then I, you know, contact Jen. Do you think I could contact Shayla? And she was like, do it. So that was like a no brainer. And it went like that. For the most part, uh, we had a couple of actors do tapes, but primarily because I wasn't sure where I was putting them. Okay. I just knew I really, I really saw them on the page somewhere. So this came at a combination of having already known people, but also just looking down on it and thinking about my wish list. Because everybody always tells you when casting, make your wish list. The weird thing was my wish list kept saying yes. 
know, and, and, and that was amazing. You know, Francis is always going to be my, my barkeep. And, uh, and actually Lenny Evans came to me, who's our saloon singer and, and a little known fact, Lenny sings in eight languages. Yeah. If you go to her actual personal website and dig through, there's a video of her singing in Japanese, a man in a high castle. And there's, Shows she's done in uh, in China, singing in Mandarin and Cantonese. Wow. <laughs> so, Lenny, who's a good friend of mine as well, came to me and said, I want to be your saloon singer. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make it happen. You know? so, so we brought a saloon singer into, into it. And, uh, and it got to the point where the word started getting out. And, and I, I had a couple of people actually contact me and said, is there any parts left? And I'm like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because all these women knew each other socially. They 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 work on the same shows, or they go to the same auditions, or they're yeah. just friends over years. Mm-hmm. And then it became an issue of I get to hang out for three days with my friends on a movie set. That rock. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, what a great guy. It was meant to be. It kind of was, um, and they were all great. I mean, we. We had to wait for a location to open up because Vancouver's so busy hmm. and they were, and they all stuck with it. You know, there was, there was never any doubt. I'd send an email going, okay, it looks like we can't get a town till, you know, beginning of May. And this was, you know, back in the fall. Are you guys still in? Yes. And it was, it was really spectacular. The fact that they just committed and they brought their A game. They were, they were a dream. They really were a dream. Wow. So it was smooth sailing with casting. Three days mm-hmm. of shooting, but were there any complications at the shoot itself? Any any shots that you wanted to do that you found out when you when you were actually doing it that okay, I had to readjust for some reason? You know, we we filmed really fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everybody's saying the gunfight we did in a day and a half. That's that's a three to five day shoot on a TV show. Wow. Yeah. It, it we we worked on one to three takes. And because we shot in six to eight K, there's one or two shots that are push-ins off of the raw files because we, we didn't really have time to do a lot of close-ups. So made sure that we had, you know, good mid-size shots and, and two shots in order to make sure that if we had to push in on something, because we, we looked at the cut and needed that shot, then we could at least push in. But if we took time for the setup for the close-up, it, it might, we might not get our shots and we had to be out at a certain time. Like we, and we were even a little bit late getting out. So we had to tear down basically a town. Like our stuff was all over town, hidden in corners. So the camera wouldn't pick it up. And that way would I, probably the, the toughest constraint for us was time, you know, getting everything done. And, mm. uh, and that was a little scary. Not that's getting it done, but you've got to match those shots, right? You can't go to the editing room because I'm not getting that town again. <laughs> Yeah, can't go to the editing room and realize that that shot you have of someone running for cover doesn't match with the larger shot that it follows. Then you're hooped. Mm. So, you know, time was the biggest thing. I would have loved an extra day. So what what is your biggest lesson learned then from to go forward for your next film? Well, you know what they say about casting is 75 percent of directing is really true. I mean, this, this shoot to me proved it. The other thing I've learned from this is that the people you bring on in crew 
are as important as the people you bring on on cast. That the way you communicate with crew before you even get to set is as important as the way you communicate to cast. Uh, we had a great group. We had people who committed to this months earlier as crew who never, who never wavered either. Uh, and, and so appreciative of that. And the other thing I've learned is, you know, indie, but well, I knew this before, <laughs> but, but it really struck home um, what is possible when you, when you bring committed people in front of and behind the camera as a team, as you look at both sides as a team, what you can accomplish with very little. Yeah. But you have to have both sides at that same commitment level. Right. Our, our set design team, they built that water trough that's in a lot of the shots. Um, they scoured the beach for driftwood because we didn't have a budget to go to a hardware store for extra wood. Like that's the level of commitment that was brought by the, by the teams. Wow. wow. That is so cool. Our customer like scoured <laughs> secondhand shops. She broke down all the clothing. Like they're like, uh, Ida's hat was actually a pink hat in a secondhand shop. She painted <laughs> it. She broke it down. Like she's, she, when we call her, when we call Flaubert the costume wizard, we're not joking. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, 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 we sometimes don't talk enough about that level of commitment, but it doesn't happen in indie at all without them. So when we're talking about, uh, the production of a movie, there's also then the, the, uh, after, you know, with the festivals and promoting it and that kind of thing. And, um, I, I, I came across, um, uh, something that, uh, Brie Larson had said recently with regard to, you know, wanting more diversity with reviewers and with, um, uh, she said, you know, I really sucks that reviews matter, but reviews matter. Good reviews out of festivals give small independent films a fighting chance to be bought and seen. Good reviews help films gross money. Good reviews slingshot films into award contenders. A good review can change your life. And she took a lot of heat because she was basically saying, we need more diverse reviewers. Yeah. And we need to see more of that. And I wanted to know what your experience so far has been uh, when in, in you know, promoting this in, in, in the festivals. Well, we're just starting our journey, but already I can see sort of a, a bit of a trend. You know, there, there seems to be a bit more dialogue with the, the niche festivals, the women-oriented action, the action-oriented festivals, um, which is our first two acceptances, um, Artemis Women in Action Film Festival in Santa Monica this weekend and the end of May at the Bechtel Film Festival in Akron. And, um, and so we're starting to reach out and, and talk to festival directors as well. They're absolutely right. I mean, it's a little bit different for a short or proof of concept than it is for a feature. Mm -hmm. But what she's saying is correct. We need variety, not just in our reviewers, but we need it in our programmers. Right? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you go on to a lot of the festivals, it's, it's a very homogenous, they're all started by very homogenous group. I'm just going to say that. And that doesn't mean that they are not incredible, upstanding humans. Right. What it means is it's one perspective. Right. So sometimes when I go to a festival's website and sometimes they post their jury, sometimes they don't, I actually look at who's on the jury mm -hmm. because if it's a diverse panel, that means when they sit down and discuss which ones they want to program in that diverse grouping, there might be a voice that will champion us. 
And that's as important as the reviews. Right. Brie Larson is completely right on all of that. Um, a lot of the things Jessica Shastain's been saying about diversity are also mm-hmm. correct. I, I, I think our best films aren't, our best film seasons are diverse. And diverse in the sense that there's just so many different perspectives. And it doesn't mean you have to like them all. And it doesn't mean you have to go to them all. It means you have to respect their right to exist. Right. That's all. So you obviously have spent a lot of time fighting for women in film. You created the Vancouver International Women in Film Festival Screenplay Competition, which is a mouthful for a screenwriter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you're very active on Twitter and supporting women in film. And and I'm wondering, for you in your career, are you seeing a change for the better? Where are you seeing that change, you know, and where are you like, this still is just as terrible? So being in Canada, our system is a little bit different than in America. We're a little bit less corporate and a little bit more, uh, there's, a, there's a little bit, not a lot of uh, funding access points, particularly a lot more for documentary now. Um, and what we're seeing is in those funding mechanism discussions about, about who's getting funded for sure. So uh, Telefilm Canada, which helps provide some funds for some films in the country, has committed to gender diversity. The National Film Board of Canada has committed to gender diversity and as well as visible diversity because they're publicly funded entities. So the argument uh, has been over the last couple of years that if you're taking women's tax money, you might as well start funding women because that's Mm -hmm. only right. There's been a bigger shift there than there has been in in perhaps um, privately funded projects. I think that women try to fund other women. So I'm seeing a big, there was a lot, like our our crowdfunding campaign, a lot of women donated. So I think what I'm seeing also in that level is women are, are starting to say, well, if I want these stories to happen, I need to be an active participant in the process. And I think that's a big deal. I don't know if we're seeing it yet at the big budget level, uh, there's some great studies. I think San Diego State did one last year on on women in the film industry. I think change is slow to happen. I think, though, if we don't take the foot off the gas pedal of the discussion, then I think it's it's shifting. It's just going to be a lot slower. It's like moving an iceberg. <laughs> it's just going to take, you know, <laughs> consistent, long-term pressure to, to keep the direction going the right way. Well, we're, we're not in the industry. We're just fans. But is there anything that we can do to help push the iceberg along? I think do what you're doing. And that's continue to be vocal on social media about what you want and what you like and, and support the projects. Uh, because, you know, in some certain situations, that statistic, that analytic helps a filmmaker. You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm using our social media numbers when I have discussions, because I would like to expand the last stand universe. Um, I'm pitching this as the idea as basis for a limited TV series. Ooh. So oh. <laughs> I know, wouldn't that be fun? Oh. Um, <laughs> so for us to move that forward, we have to show there's an audience and that's why being, being active on, on, on social media, whether it's with hashtags or, um, you know, making sure you like the page, uh, you know, retweeting helps a lot, you know, hitting the Instagram button to follow, like all of these things, they give analytics and proof that, you know what, I have a market. 
here's my market. And that, I think, is the number one thing as a fan you can do because um, nobody's going to fund a, a, a program that has, you know, 50 followers on all their social media channels. This podcast is brought to you by tvserieshub.tv, your site for entertainment news, reviews, and interviews. Now back to the show. Well, I got to say, um, I'm just one fan, but I know there's a lot of people like me who are just tired of seeing TV shows and movies and things with just a bunch of white guys. I want to see yeah. something more interesting. I'm always more intrigued. If, if you see my um, my Twitter banner right now, it is all the women of Marvel. And it is just yeah. this beautiful array of, of uh, characters throughout the Marvel Universe. And I am interested in that because all my life, you know, I grew up with, uh, you know, the TV shows were all about the man heroes. And then mm -hmm. there was there was a woman, but she was usually just either the love interest or the secretary. And I'm just so tired of it. I want to see, this is what intrigues me about The Last Time to Know Her, is, is that I don't get that sense from this. This is, this is they're all the main characters. They all have, uh, you know, key values. They're not the girlfriends. <laughs> you know, they are, they are key parts of the, the show. And I love the idea of doing that with you know other stories or whatever and just and just seeing where it goes and i'm telling you you have an audience for this idea i had you know i kind of got an inkling of that when we started uh and i'm, I'm going to take this all the way back to before our crowdfunding campaign um when i started floating the idea everybody was like you gotta do it you gotta do it and then i i i had a i had lunch with i believe it was brunch with wendy d who has done a lot of our social media while we were filming and was one of our set photographers. And Wendy was like, well, you're, you've got to do it, but you need a concept photo shoot. I'm like, and, and really the smartest thing I did was listen to Wendy D that day. And I'm like, okay. So we had four casts. We did a mini fundraiser in Vancouver to pay for the costumes. And we did this concept photo shoot. And that helped to fuel our crowdfunding because then people could see, oh, this is what it's going to kind of look like. And I, can, and I can get that. I can see it. I can get it. And the response that started out of those initial photos was far more than I expected it to be. And then it just kept growing. Honestly, I'm still a little gobsmacked about where we're standing today and what we're talking about. I think you're right. I think this hit the nerve. I think uh, there's a show filming in Vancouver right now called Motherload. I don't know a lot about it, but it's, it's another supernatural show. But it's, you know, it's where the world... World's armies are populated by female witches. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> that's as much as I can tell from what's going on online. But um, again, it's it's that idea of women taking non-traditional female roles, and and there's a lot of talk about this now. And I think it's I think you're right. I think there's a market. We just have to find the production companies and the executive producers who are willing to champion it. Right. Yeah. Because ultimately, they're the ones that control the financing in Canada it would be, let's say, the broadcaster. And, you know, we, we've had some conversations I never thought we'd have already. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but it says to me that that people are taking notice that that female led stories are OK. And it doesn't have to be a female led drama. It can be a fantasy. It can be a Western. It can be, you know, I, I think I think Killjoys and. Yes. Earp and like I think they've all opened doors as well because they're also female-led 
actionable characters, right? Yeah. Snarky, strong, you know, a soft side to them. But, you know, if you need someone to get it done, those women are going to get it done. Yeah. yeah. We all want to be the heroes of our own stories. Right, exactly. Well, I, I love the idea that it's dynamic women. They're not all just one strong woman who's basically a man <laughs> in in the way she acts, you know, because that, that for so long when we were portrayed, you know, when we had female leads, they were just women who basically acted like a, a male character. And that was like all we got. And so I, I like, I love it. I'm so excited and I hope that it becomes a TV show. I'm so in. <laughs> what was so important for us is that we showed all kinds of women. So uh, we had, you know, this, the idea of this is that it just so happens that these particular women are good at surviving in the West with their guns. But there yeah. are women in the West who survive in other ways. We still have townspeople that are in traditional farm life. We have, you know, we still have our saloon singer and our madam in the saloon. And it, it, it doesn't say that this is the only kind of woman. It just says in an egalitarian world, women would have a diverse ways to survive in that environment. So we're not, we're not replacing anything. We're just kind of expanding it is the way we look at it. And I think what our cast proves, especially with some of those lines, is that ultimately it's, it's not the words you put in front of them to use that makes these characters women. It's the women who put on the, the outfit yeah. that makes them women, mm-hmm. right? It's something mm-hmm. really intrinsic in all of us. It's not... It's not being a damsel in distress. It's not being, uh, you know, only ever vulnerable. It's not, it's, women are really complex, interesting beings that what makes them that is something really intrinsic. Well, I have to tell you that when there's a scene in there when Ida tucks her uh, gun into the front (laughs) of her belt and like into the front of her pants, and I thought, my immediate was, Oh, that makes so much more sense for a woman to do that because she's not going to shut our penis off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's really interesting is I start, when I was doing research on the West, a lot of in the real West, a lot of guys couldn't afford gun belts. They put mm-hmm. the gun in their belt a <laughs> lot of the times, especially yeah. farmers. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't such, uh, a, you know, a tough decision. And that was one that Luvia made. Okay. You know, uh, and again, you know, what's really important is creating an environment that empowers your cast to really make choices about their character that feels organic to them. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when we set the scene up, we discuss where, where the guns are placed around the poker table. We discussed what they were comfortable with. You know, we discussed how, how Ida relates to her sister and and the chair, which I think when people see, they all understand the chair, yeah. um, you know, and, and that was, that was actually her suggestion because oh. she really, yeah, we sat down, we talked through it, we block it out. We look at how it looks on the screen and we're like, yep, let's do it that way. And, and so that whole dynamic comes apart, comes apart of the collaborative process. And so was the gun in the belt yeah. <laughs> for the pants. I love the gun in the pants. <laughs> Well, with the with the thought with the uh, with the decisions that that uh, cast me, I really like that. I always love hearing when uh, when cast uh, cast members add their own little. Well, what if we do this? Well, what if we do that? And add their own little spin to a moment. It's also important that 
with women characters that they be written by women. And uh, one would think that, that that would be sort of obvious, but I think back to a something that happened many moons ago on Stargate SG-1, when uh, just in the first episodes, when uh, when Amanda Tapping's character had to say, well, just because yeah. my reproductive organs are on the inside of my body and not on the outside. And it was such a gauche and inappropriate line, but it was written by a dude. And they've made yeah. fun of that line forever on the show. They made fun of it forever. The fan, the fans did and the cast did. They all sort of look back at that and go, you know, uh, face palm. I can't believe that those words came out of our mouths. But um, but. It's so key to understand that you don't, it, when you write a woman, it, to have a woman actually writing the words that they say, because women understand women. Uh, so mm-hmm. I just wanted to add that that's so critical that, uh, you know, here with these characters, that they were women written by women. Thank you. I, I think it really does make a difference. It doesn't mean that men can't write a good female character. Right. But I think that, yeah, that I remember that line really well. And I... <laughs> Um, but what's interesting, I think, out of respect for where Stargate went, mm-hmm. was you could tell that that sort of need for dimes like that settled down. Because, yes. um, dare I say, Sam Carter's about as badass as it gets. Oh, yeah. Right? And But it, she became the character that never felt like she had to prove it. Yeah. And nobody ever felt like she had to prove it to them. She just was so competent. And I think there was, to me, it felt like an insecure line. Yes. But not by the character, right? Because people right. weren't sure. Because, I mean, that shows what, was it 15 years ago? Love we live in a different world now. Yeah. Right? 20? Yeah, we live in a different world now. I don't, I would bet you money that that writer wouldn't write that, if he was writing that pilot today, wouldn't write that line again. You know, because times have changed. Right. And we're realizing things. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it but yeah, I remember that line well. <laughs> well like i said they made fun of it themselves in the show uh a yeah. few times because it was just it's just one of those lines that you just no no one says that um so uh i i have a question that i that I typically ask uh people um that i've gotten some really really neat answers for and i wanted to pose it to you as well and that mm-hmm. is if you could wave a magic wand and uh, somehow send a uh, message back through time to your younger self and uh, pass on a bit of wisdom or advice or whatever about life, about the business, about whatever, what would you tell your younger self? What would you advise them? Get in film earlier. This is, <laughs> this is sort of a second passion for me. Mm-hmm. I, spent, uh, I spent sort of the first chunk of life very much involved with sport, very much involved with women in sport. And I reached a certain point where I had been doing a lot of writing and uh, because I, I wanted that outlet for myself and a friend of mine read something said, you should really focus on screenplays. You write like a screenwriter. So about 10 years ago, I started working with a mentor and the journey just sort of took off from there. And, uh, and I would tell my younger self, you could have started that earlier <laughs> mm. because it's, it's such a collaborative environment it's it's a special special space to be in because the people in it are exceptional you know you find your your group you find your home you find your tribe whatever you want to call it and and when you do in film it's uh it's a really special place to be in so i would say keep your interests diverse Mm -hmm. don't don't shy away from something that intrigues you 
and start earlier with it. I love it. That's great advice. So you obviously right now are working on getting into the festival, screening. I'm sure you have stuff in your back pocket. What's next? Mm -hmm. I have a feature script and another proof of concept, either one I'd be happy to make. Um, They're all tend to be female forward stories. Good. (laughs) So (laughs) it probably isn't a surprise. Uh, I'd like to find, I'd like to find funding to do a low budget feature. I also have this, female thief story that's been playing around in on paper and in my head for like a number of years that I really want to film. So it's going to come down to, I think what I can find the money for at this Mm -hmm. point. Uh, I pulled so many favors in on last stand and my team put so many favors in. I even feel uncomfortable with the term my team because I don't really think of them. This is not mine. This was a group effort. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You know, we all we all put a lot of favors in to to try and get this made, uh, and and I really want to highlight. I mean, if you look at our sponsors list, there are some major local companies that said we believe in what you're doing, and came in, and I I mean, when we went into Encore Post to talk about post production, I was walking past monitors that were doing like visual effects. <laughs> I did not stop and look. I just knew what was going on. Uh, and like they're a big company if you go to their website you see all the all the films they've done they helped us a little tiny film out and i and i can't thank them enough for that you know matrix production services provides location gear for pretty much all the shows in town they came out and provided ours for free wow you know so um when we say we pulled in favors we pulled in sponsors we're, we're not joking and all of that made it possible to do a four day shoot in a Western for, you know, $23,000, which is unheard of. Right. So, you know, it, it comes down to, you know, what I think we can finance. I would love to make birthday blues, which is a, a feature set at a suburban house party at the murder mystery. And right. the reason I want to make it is it uses all, all age groups within the family, focusing on a grandmother, a mother and a daughter. And I want to do the entire soundtrack as a live blues performance that's taking place at the party. What? That's cool. I want to see so, it. <laughs> so that's what I really want to make next. But if I had slipped back to something short, it would be in my female spy story. I'm right, sorry, my thief story. Well, that's exciting. I mean, obviously, when you say calling in favors, and I get that, you know, but it definitely feels like everyone believes in you and you have made something very cool. I, I think I think it was just the timing was perfect for us. And and what the advice everybody gives you about, you know, really believe in your project and talk about your project anytime you get the chance. I mean, that's what I've been doing for the last two years. And when you do, it's amazing. It's amazing who will respond to that. Um, the conversation with Matrix started, oh, two years ago at the Spotlight Awards, which is the Women in Film Awards in Vancouver. Because Wendy D, who was also doing the photography for them, had her own postcards, and she used one of our concept photo shoot images to help us out. So the, our photo shoot was actually all over the venue. And so people pick it up and go, what's this about? Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful. I've seen the pictures. They're beautiful. They're, they're stunning. She's so talented. All, all three of our photographers are incredibly talented. You know, Maverick David and Michelle Lamberson took others as well, and but, but Wendy started us off and started those conversations with sponsorship. And, and that's what I mean about people pulling together and collaborating and, and believing in something. Um, and again, 
you've got to talk about it for people to know about it. So that would be my second piece of advice. Well, that's fantastic. Well, again, we appreciate you spending so much time with us. We love Last Stand to Nowhere. It's phenomenal. We do have one final question that we ask everybody, and that is, what has been your favorite fan interaction? I, I God, there's been a few that have been really amazing. We've had some really great interactions on our Twitter feed with people like uh, Desiree and Nicole, who have been just so supportive and kind. I did hear once from somebody when describing the project say to me, you mean we're going to get more than one glorious episode like we got in Godless? <laughs> <laughs> and that, because I, I watch, I watch Godless and she's right. We had this glorious episode, right? In like yeah. in the end. <laughs> and my thought was, if you hit the nail on the head, that's exactly what we want to do. Yeah. And that, that, that fan comment really helped me to crystallize what I really envisioned with this. Because in many ways, I've kind of gone on gut, like, this is what I want to make, this is what I want to do. And then I realized that what, with that one statement, that what people were looking for us to do was in line with what we wanted to do. And that mm-hmm. is create more than one episode. It's create a world where we see ourselves in so many different ways. Yeah. So that, I think that one line has to be my, my favorite fan interaction right now, because it, it spoke volumes about how people saw what it is that we're trying to accomplish. It, well, it's, it's phenomenal. And what you've done is amazing. And, and yeah, I mean, we're ready for, uh, for a whole entire world and a TV series and then your next feature film. And it sounds like your gut is right on point. So <laughs> we will follow <laughs> wherever you lead. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. How about we set us on leading? How about we just walk this path together and get content out there talking about it, people talking about, you know, great women's stories. Yes. That's, that's what I love about the Brie Larson point, and that's what I love when I see, you know, other things happening. Like uh, a good example are the, the Spears sisters out of Vancouver who just did Alien Or, one of the Alien films yes. mm-hmm. that came out with the anniversary. You know, I mean, I think we should be talking about that too. They've created a female-focused alien short film and they've done such a phenomenal job and and we need to start talking about each other as well as filmmakers we need to really build each other up because the journey is so tough on its own that when one of us succeeds we should all be celebrating yes we completely agree and i think that's something that women unfortunately have had to kind of relearn i think so long society has pitted women against each other um, mm-hmm. and whereas men got to be the good old boys club, they got to, you know, support each other and women were kind of expected to push ahead or push others down to get forward. And it's that, that, uh, working together, shining the light on other women. That is something that we are, we are relearning, thankfully relearning, but you know, I, I do want to point out just as we're finishing, cause I know we're probably running out of time, but our cast and crew came out to about 55 people. A lot of there were a number of filmmakers in our crew that were doing jobs that aren't their normal job. Maya came in as a producer. She does produce her own stuff, but she's, she's a stunt coordinator and director in her own right. And she came in and helped produce. And Asa Visser is our first AD. She's, she's a filmmaker. Pam Jones, who came in and organized our, our food services, crafty and catering is a filmmaker uh, in her own right. And a writer, like, like, there were a lot of people who came together to make this. And 
and I'm probably going to be spending my rest of my life working on all their films too as payback. <laughs> and, and you know, that's that's the way it should work. You know, we should all be pooling our talent in some way. Louie Peterson's now a director. She's got a project out. You know, I'll, I'll help her in any way. I mean, the list just kind of goes on, right? And I'm sure there's names I haven't mentioned that I should have mentioned, but but that I mean, we have to we have to support each other. We have to. Thanks for listening to another NERCS podcast. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at NERCS of the Hub. And let us know what you think. 